Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Everyone gets their cravings while watching the games. And no one wants to be the one to miss the big play. Well, now Grubhub's got you covered. From the extras to the essentials, Grubhub now delivers all your go-to convenience items all day long. Whether it's that late-night snack craving or you forgot to get the paper towels from the grocery store, enjoy convenience delivered right to your door, just in the nick of time. And you'll never have to leave the house. Order your convenience items through the Grubhub app or online today. It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you're dead. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com, the mobile app, and podcast platforms. He's Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow. With you for the next 60 minutes as we're here to break down all that is happening with respect to the New York Giants. A reminder, all of our shows are pre-recorded this week, so we won't be able to take your phone calls, but we will be answering your submitted questions a little bit later on in the program. You can send them in via the Giants.com mailbag, as well as using hashtag GiantsChat on Twitter as we want to maintain that interactive component to the show. Also, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. Today, we're going to continue our opponent preview series as we're going to focus on the L.A. Chargers. The Giants will visit the Chargers in Week 14 on December 12th. L.A. went 7-9 and nine in 2020. And to get more into what to expect from the Chargers this season, we are now joined by the Chargers radio play-by-play announcer, none other than Matt Money-Smith. Matt, you got Lance Meadow and Paul Dottino here on Giants.com, Big Blue Kickoff Live. Greatly appreciate the time today. Hope all is well. How are things? Things are good. Uh, Lance, Paul, I'm excited. You know, we got, uh, what, a, a couple weeks here till we get things really rolling and, and get out and see these guys that went out to the, the rookie camp and the mini camp. And there's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of enthusiasm uh, around this new coaching staff, uh, around the second year of Justin Herbert. You can just kind of feel it. You know, sometimes I, you guys have done this long enough. You, you kind of and take the temperature camp just based on body language and, and maybe how the guys are behaving as they're just walking around and talking with one another. And it certainly feels like this one's got a lot of energy going into the 2021 campaign. There's no doubt about it. And I think you have every right to be excited, especially with Herbert coming off of an offensive rookie of the year performance. I want to get to Herbert in a second, but I actually want to start with what I think, Matt, is the biggest storyline, and that's the environment that they're providing for their quarterback. The Chargers were 
very aggressive this offseason improving that offensive line. They bring in Corey Lindsley and Matt Filer, two proven veterans. They draft Rashawn Slater. How much of what they've done up front do you think can really take Herbert to a whole new level in year two? Yeah, I'll tell you what, Lance, it's, it's interesting, right? Because they had uh, arguably the worst offensive line in the league last year, right? And, and Herbert operated as a top 10 quarterback behind it, despite being under pressure, uh, despite having, having as little time to throw as any quarterback in the league. Um, and, and it's interesting. So I don't know how much better can he get with a league average offensive line. And I mean, no doubt he's going to be excited that there's better protection in front of him. But, um, you know, I think really what, what, contributed to that seven and nine record as opposed to maybe a nine and seven or a ten and six more than anything was defensive letdowns you know herbert ended up having five fourth quarter leads that the defense surrendered um so i you know certainly the offensive line needed fixing it was it was leaky i mean it was a sieve and and he was constantly under pressure um but he still delivered and and so that's i think where a lot of that excitement that you're talking about is coming from is man this is this is someone that was through get through for 4300 yards you know, broke every rookie record in the book, 30-plus touchdowns to just 10 interceptions, and he did it behind one of the worst units in the league. What, what can we imagine? I just don't know how much more markedly improved he could be from what we saw last year. Before we get to the X's and O's of the roster, let me ask you about head coach Brandon Staley and what you think he brings to the table. Well, Paul, I'll tell you, first of all, I think the defensive scheme is going to be a lot better. You know, last year, and and I loved. You know, I think the players love Gus. Um, you know, everybody loves Gus Bradley. He's he's a great guy, an awesome coach. But you know, I, I, it, it felt like the get home in four, uh, no matter what. You know, be damned if we don't get there, we don't get there. It, it just stopped working. Uh, I think is probably the best way to put it. And he started blitzing a little bit more later in the season. But as I mentioned, it just seemed repeatedly if the offense, if the opposing offense had the ball. At the end of the game, uh, you did not feel good about what the outcome was going to look like. Uh, you felt a heck of a lot better if, if you were behind and, and the Chargers offense had the ball than you did the defense having to protect the lead. So uh, scheme, number one, two, a healthy Derwin James, obviously, with, with Brandon Staley. And you saw what he did with Jalen Ramsey and that Rams defense last year. I think what people maybe don't realize is, you know, the Rams defense wasn't just good last year. It wasn't just great. It was historically good. Uh, it, sure. it was one of the best defenses we've seen in like 20 years. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt about it. That unit was top-notch, especially with who they were throwing out in the secondary. And since you brought up the defensive side of the ball, I mean, let's stick there at least for the time being. Unfortunately, Matt, as you can attest to, I always make the joke and tongue-in-cheek, somebody's got to put the voodoo doll down that's toying with the Chargers' defense. I mean, Matt, it's getting ridiculous. You know, every year, we're so enamored with all the names, the Derwin Jameses, the Joey Boses, and unfortunately, we never see what this unit could do because they don't have the 11 guys at their disposal. I know you don't have a crystal ball, and we have no idea how this season is going to play out, but... How imperative is it truly, in order for this defense to reach its high expectations, regardless of what scheme Brandon Staley is running, is that this unit finally can rely on the 11 guys that they anticipate is going to be the staple of this defense? That's a great point, Lance, and it's the most important point, really, because there is not great depth, uh, and that's what's got them, right? In years past, you said, uh, you know, Derwin goes down, and there's really not a great answer there. It's safety to end up moving Rayshon Jenkins from free back to, to strong, and then they put Nasir Adderley at free, who just was not comfortable playing that that particular position in Gus Bradley's scheme. Um, so they need depth. 
hopefully they have better depth. Um, but I, I think it comes down to health. If, if those 11 guys are healthy, um, I think Drew Tranquil is, is really going to open some eyes this year. Unfortunately, you know, he snapped the leg at the, the start of this, or, you know, messed up his leg at the start of the season in the first game. But I think the pairing that he and Kenneth Murray at linebacker, um, you know, obviously you know what Joey Bosa can do. He's probably the most complete defensive end in the league in terms of stopping the run and just blowing up plays and getting the quarterback. Um, and, and obviously Thurwin's a key. But beyond that, there's not a lot of depth. You know, they're, they're relying, they're going to rely on a rookie at corner. And Asante Samuel Jr. played with Chris Harris and, and, and Mikey Quince. And, and once you get beyond that, that's kind of always the boo about this roster is if too many guys go down, you just, you know, and that happened to the offensive line last year. It's why it was the worst unit in the league. There's just not a lot of reinforcements. And I think that's probably the case for a lot of teams in the NFL. I had seen a comment, excuse me, from Justin Herbert coming out of the minicamp that during those practices, he saw a lot of different guys playing a lot of different positions. And the versatility seemed to be much more of an emphasis this year. I'm going to assume that's because of the lack of depth. They figure, look, we probably got to get as many guys in as many spots as we can because that would give them a chance to compete. Yeah, absolutely, Paul. I think if you, you talk about Nasir Adderley, who I just mentioned, played free safety exclusively, played that high safety, you know, in, in Gus's scheme last year exclusively. You're hearing Brandon Staley talk about him playing some slot corner, um, playing some nickel, playing, you know, both safety positions, just kind of moving him all over the field. I think the same goes with Kenneth Murray. You'll probably see him move to a couple different linebacker positions, and that likely is a product of, I think, A, um, his scheme and, and the idea that he, that he wants offenses to have to react to him instead of him having to react to offenses. He's, you know, he's always preached that, um, you know, create that confusion pre-snap, post-snap as much as you can. So I think there's a little bit of, you know, protect yourself depth-wise, but also uh, create mismatches, you know, create confusion pre-snap and, and during a play and, and not quite knowing where pressure's coming from, who's dropping, who's playing where. Um, so I think a lot of that goes hand-in-hand hand on that side of the ball. We're talking with Chargers radio play by play announcer Matt Money Smith here on Giants.com, Big Blue Kickoff Live. Speaking of depth, that brings me, Matt, to the wide receiver core because Herbert, I thought, did a really nice job spreading the wealth last season despite some of the issues that he had up front. And while we know what Keenan Allen could do and we've seen Mike Williams, one guy that I want to focus on is Tyron Johnson, who really flashed here or there, it seemed, last season. A huge target down the field, 19.9 yards per reception that he averaged. Where do you see his development and perhaps the bigger role that he could carve out for himself entering this season? Yeah, they, you know, they call him T-Billy, and I'm just, I'm so used to having everybody say that when I ask about <laughs> So to forgive me if I try to use the nickname here like I did with Mike Davis a second ago. Um, so I think there's... I do think there's probably a wide open competition for that third receiver. You know, Jalen Guyton's got speed. Uh, Tyron's got speed. They drafted Josh Palmer. They're really excited about him uh, and just kind of his complete receiver sort of. You know, he's a really good route runner. He's got strong hands. So I think the rookie's going to be in the mix as well. I'll be honest. I was a little surprised that they, they didn't go out and get one of those sort of I don't, you know, I don't want to degrade the, the free agent, but, you know, just kind of like that, that not quite top, but mid-tier receiver like a Marvin Jones. It just felt like, you know, one of those guys was, was really going to put this receiving core over the top. And I think it probably speaks to how much confidence they had, in, in, especially late in the season, in Johnson and Guyton, to, to, that one of them can be that third receiver. Um, it, it's going to be interesting because, you know, they need, I, I think Herbert's shown 
that he needs that speed guy. Take the top off, and, and he's willing to stand in there and, and take the shot that, that he's got to take in order to put that thing down the field. I mean, you mentioned Johnson in the 19. My gosh, that thing was at like 32 per catch for about <laughs> six games because I think he had three or four 60-plus catches, 60-plus yard catches. Um, so that's the key, right? you got to have that speed to try to open things up and allow Keenan not to get doubled and do his magic in a, in a route running term. You know, Mike Williams is a great 50-50 guy, but doesn't quite have that speed. So, um, again, Lance, I think you hit it uh, right on the head. That's probably going to be the one guy that if he can take that next, next step can really bring, I think, this receiving core into the conversation as one of the most complete and better ones in the league. Well, you know, you're talking about the passing game, and Jared Cook, who seems to have a suitcase with him everywhere he goes because he's just been on so many teams, he lands there now as a replacement for Hunter Henry, and I wonder what you think his role will be. I mean, the guy certainly has a lot of wear on his tires. Yeah, I think had, you know, Paul, I think had Hunter been able to stay healthy and not had so many injury issues with the Chargers, they, they would have absolutely kept him. Uh, full service tight end. They loved him. Someone who could block and catch. You know, that's not the case with Jarrett. Um, and I think that's why you saw him draft Trey McKitty. And they're excited about him as, as kind of that complete tight end. So my, what I would imagine, is, and, and it's interesting, you know, Justin didn't really use Hunter as much as we thought he would. Um, you know, like you said, Lance, he really spread it around. You know, when you look at the touchdown totals, there wasn't the one guy with 12, 13 touchdowns. And, you know, you look in the red zone and he's looking his way and throwing, you know, his targets are considerably higher than the next guy. Now, obviously, target-wise, Keenan Allen got a ton just because he's that reliable and he's as good a go-to as there is in the league. But I'm interested to see if, if Jared Cook can, can almost be more productive than Hunter Henry was last year because we never quite saw that, that relationship develop like Philip Rivers had with his tight ends. You know, whenever you got in the, the, the red zone, we, we always knew, you know, probably option one for Philip was going to be his tight end. And that just never quite developed last year with Herbert and, and Hunter. So I'm anxious to see if, you know, especially Jared Cook coming over and having been in that Joe Lombardi offense with the Saints for quite a while. And that's going to be pretty much the, the foundation and the, the nucleus of this offense. Uh, so he'll be comfortable. Uh, I'm anxious to see if they can get the tight end a little bit more run here. Matt, I'm glad you brought up Joe Lombardi and the connection with Jared Cook because in addition to you referring to Brandon Staley perhaps dramatically changing the defense, we also need to account for, well, there's a new staff on the offensive side of the ball and Lombardi was the Saints QB coach for the last few seasons. What would you best describe perhaps what he will do for Herbert or how similar and how different it may look from what they ran under Anthony Lynn and company? You know, I'll, I'll, I'll share, I'll just kind of go ahead and take it from Drew Brees. He was out of camp, um, kind of prepping for his media and, and going through faux production meetings um, with the guys. And so he was able to, to talk with us for a little while. And when we brought up, you know, what, what he could share with us about what he expected Lombardi to do with, with Herbert, I, I thought he put it perfectly. He said, imagine the offense is the biggest menu you've ever seen at a restaurant. And I think anybody that's been to a cheesecake factory immediately thinks of that menu. And <laughs> he said what Lombardi does is, you, and Sean Payton does, is they present you with all of these options and you work through all of these things and then they end up narrowing that down to about 30% of, of what you do really well. And, and I think um, I think bringing in Shane Day co- as, as QB coach from the Shanahan offense, you know, they, they've kind of said that that's probably 25% of this thing and Lombardi's about 75% of this thing. So what, what I think Justin does best is obviously deliver a deep ball, right, with that arm. 
but also I think you're going to probably see more mobility, which we didn't see a lot of in, you know, the Saints offense. Um, it was more rhythm, right, with, with Drew, but I think Herbert is such an athlete. It feels like they want to take advantage of that. At least that's kind of the, the sort of the subtle, the subtle hints that you're getting from Coach Daly when he talks about it and just applying pressure on a defense. And there's no better way to do that than having to account for the mobility and athleticism of a quarterback. So I think you're going to see a lot of that. There's also, I'll, I'll make this long answer longer. Um, <laughs> there was also a, a, a mic'd up moment with Lombardi talking to Justin Jackson, the running back. And Jackson was coming out of the backfield, and he kind of did a little shimmy and tried to break outside on this pass that was coming from Herbert. And he pulled him aside, and he said, hey, look, man, I don't need anything fancy. I want you to take what's there so we can get this thing moving. Uh, he's like, you got plenty of time to do that in the open field. He goes, but just look, plant your foot here. There's the slant. Let's get this ball out of his hand. So that, to me, was an indication that, okay, there's that Saints offense, right? Find the mismatch, get to it immediately, and let your playmakers make the play as opposed to a quarterback holding Pat and trying to see something develop. Where does Austin Eckler fit into this? I mean, I know he had the hamstring last year, and obviously that limited his his ability to, to get on the field, but we're still looking at a guy who over the last three seasons has had between five and 600 yards rushing apiece and has not really taken it to the Lex level. Again, I understand injuries were a part of that last season. Yeah, Paul, I'll tell you, um, in, in the last couple of years, you know, when we'd be down on the field with, you know, I'd be there with my analyst, uh, Daniel Jeremiah, talking to opposing coaches. That's the first name they bring up. That That's the guy they were most concerned about. Um, he is he is so good. Uh, and I, I think, you know, if he can stay healthy, I, I expect him to have a heck of a year. I'm not saying he's Alvin Kamara at all, but that's, you know, he, he never goes down on first contact. His hands are as reliable as any, I think, at the running back position when it comes to catching balls. You'll see wheel routes that he's snatching balls out of the air 20 yards down the field by the receiver. So I expect um, I expect them to, to see how much of that Camara role he can take on. Um, he's obviously not as big. You know, he's a smaller guy, but pound for pound, he's the strongest guy on the team. Um, so I, I, I do think he's going to end up being a, a vital part. Uh, I would almost... You know, I, I think you got probably Keenan Allen at one, and, and I, I think he might be 1A when it comes to who do you expect to have the most touches and most impact on this particular offense. Matt, we've been talking about the theme of depth across the board because, unfortunately, all the injuries that have plagued the Chargers in recent history. And with Eckler going down, we saw some of Justin Jackson and Joshua Kelly. And I think you could argue maybe the yardage per carry wasn't where they had hoped. But part of that, of course, is the offensive line play, too. Really a two-part answer. Number one, how do they feel about the guys behind Eckler with a little bit more experience under their belt? And number two, how much does the improved offensive line, you think, perhaps help elevate the overall run productivity this season? Yeah, I'll go number two first, Lance. Um, it's going to help incredibly. You know, that's like I mentioned, Herbert was able to overcome the pressure. The running game wasn't. Those guys were getting yeah. pushed, particularly at the center position. Dan Feeney was just getting blown up in the middle of that line, and it was really hard for, for lanes to open for these guys. Um, so that, I think, is going to improve dramatically even more Dan, I, I really believe. I think it's going to help more than the passing game. Um, it's, it's like I said, as much pressure as Herbert was under the run game, I think it's going to benefit greatly. Um, two, they love Justin Jackson. You know, it's the same conflict. We feel like we, you know, when it comes to the Chargers, we can have this conversation about everyone, right? <laughs> He's got to stay healthy, you know. And, and like that was something that I asked Tom Telesco um, going into the draft. I said, look, every single year the Chargers have had to pull someone off waivers 
um, off someone's practice squad that ends up starting a game of running back. That, that's how that's how bad the injuries have plagued that position. You know, last year it was Balage. Um, every single year, Williams was two years prior, and um, and I think it just continues to be their their sort of steadfast belief that that Eckler and Justin Jackson can be as good a tandem. As, as the league might see, if they could just stay healthy. Because both of them are so well-rounded. Both of them are so freaking tough. They never go down on first contact. Uh, they both have great vision. They both have great speed. So I think, again, it's it's a cross-your-fingers sort of situation with, with those two. And unfortunately, history says that they're probably not going to play 17 games. Um, you know, And, and I, I'll be anxious to see how Roundtree fits into that mix and Josh Kelly fits into that mix because I don't think you're keeping four running backs uh, but who knows? Maybe that's their maybe that's their their solution is, is depth and, and less reps overall for each of these guys. Matt, it does sound like they've done a lot to try to help themselves on offense and on defense, but their unspecial teams from last year certainly need an awful lot of work and a lot of upgrading. What do you think they have done during the off season to give themselves a sporting chance for a unit that is one third of the game? Yeah, Paul, I'll tell you, of all the coaches that, that Brandon Staley hired, I, I think Darius Swinton's probably the, the one that, that I'm most excited about. He's There's something about that guy. Uh, they got him from Arizona, and, and you know, Coach Stu was, was sort of a mentor, was kind of that old sage of the coaching staff under Anthony Lynn. Um, but, man, the special teams was terrible. And, and a lot of that is players. And, you know, Tom Telesco tried to take some responsibility for that. You know, you had Pro Bowl special teams players. You know, Nick DeZubner, uh, Derek Watt that ended up signing elsewhere that they chose not to keep and tried to replace with rookies that just simply did not pan out. Josh Kelly was um, – he was abhorrent. I mean, he was terrible on special teams last year. Um, and so I think – you saw with their draft a lot of guys that, that you can envision playing a big role on special teams. Now, the one thing they did get by the end of the year, they found that Nas Adderley's a returner. He's a legit returner, and, and they have been searching for one for a while. So I won't be surprised if he ends up being their full-time return guy, and I think that's going to help. Um, and, and I would just imagine having a new coach, some new blood, uh, that these guys are, are look, they can't be worse. I, I think it was the worst special teams unit in 30 years. <laughs> so I can't imagine <laughs> it's that bad. Um, and I think you're going to have wide open competitions at kicker and, and punter. And, and, you know, as much as everybody loves Mike Badgley, the kicker, and he had a great year when they went 12 and 4 and was nailed seemingly every time he had to make a kick. Uh, man, he had a rough year last year. Um, I mean, rough. Like, he was the worst kicker over 40 yards. Um, inside 40, he was fine, but come on, that's it's the NFL. you, you got to be good inside 50, and that just was not the case last year for Badgley. The problem with Badgley is he doesn't do kickoffs. Um, for whatever reason, even though he's got a pretty strong leg, kickoffs, he just can't quite get it down. So I, I think you're going to see a wide-open kicking competition, and they're probably going to want to find someone that can, can kick off and make field goals because that way they can have a, more of an open competition at punter. Because um, right now, Ty Long does kickoffs. He's great at that. Um, was not a, did not have a good year punting the ball last year. So um, I think you're going to see open competitions and perhaps changes at both of those positions for 2021. As it stands now, do you think they might have potential answers inside the roster, or are they going to be looking at the waiver wire rather heavily? You know, I, Paul, I don't know. Because, um, you know, that's where Badgley came from. You know, they had a competition um, – you know, four years ago, and boy, that could not have gone worse. And you guys remember it because both teams were zero and four when we came yeah. know, from that life. Um, you know, and it was it was Youngway Koo of all guys, right? One of the best kickers in the league last year, 
it's just first two games, you know, he knocks off Josh Lambeau in training camp. Lambeau's now in Jacksonville, one of the best kickers in the league, who, you know, misses two kicks in Denver. They lose that first game. This is a game-winning kick against Miami in week two. They lose that game. And, you know, next thing you know, Mike Batsley's here off the waiver wire and, and has been here since. So I don't know um, if that answer's on the roster, if they're just going to keep looking. Um, I think, obviously, for, you know, I think, I think if you ask Tom Telesco, you know, what do you prefer? He says, well, I prefer that, you know, actually figure out what the heck went on last year <laughs> and, and get back to, you know, what he did in 2019. Um, so, I, or 2018, I should say. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm sorry. I hate to give you an I don't know answer, but I'm not quite sure. Matt, if there's been two clouds hovering over the Chargers, I think we've tackled two of them, which is the injury bug, and then, of course, as you just relayed, the special teams unit. And as a result of those two factors, I would say the third cloud has been they've played a lot of close games over the course of recent history, and unfortunately, the ball just has not bounced their way. I was actually crunching the numbers. 12 games they played last season decided by eight points or less. And the record was five and seven, which I'm sure many people would say, well, teams could do a lot worse. But it just seems as if more often than not, it never goes in favor of them. The reason I'm bringing that up is I'm not a big believer, Matt, that just because you struggle one season in one area, it carries over. Just seems as if it's impacted the Chargers in a unique way. How much do they need and how much does Brandon Staley need to emphasize that they have to sort of find a way to just shake that narrative since it's plagued them so much? Yeah, Lance, I'll tell you, I think that's one of the reasons why they, they decided to make a change at coach. As a, you know, even though they finished, you know, with four straight wins, Justin Herbert had this remarkable rookie season, you know, the opposite why are you changing the offense on this kid after he just got comfortable in this one and put up those sure. kind of numbers. But I think it was, you know, sort of that inevitability that the, sh- you know, the, the other shoe was going to drop. There's just there was not confidence on this team. It felt like they were just waiting, and then we felt it as a broadcast team. You know, like I I can remember, and, and you know, you, you just want to call the game straight. You never want to insert yourself into the storyline. But man, there was a moment. It was late in the season. I think it was against the Raiders with the Chargers. You know, the the, the famous uh, I was in, I was in. You know, call from Justin Herbert on the rush there, and and I said, you just you get, I I gotta wait. I, I said, you know, when we were calling the game, I said, look. We think he was in. It looks like he's in, but I'm not going to call this game is over until I get that official to come out from underneath that hood and tell me that this game is over because it just felt like it was inevitable that they were going to say, yeah, no, his, uh, we could see a couple strands of thread from his, his pants were on the ground and he wasn't in. You know, that that's just kind of the way it broke. And I think with the new blood, that the players, like I said, when we started this conversation, Man, they're excited. They believe in this. They believe in the coaches. They believe in the scheme. They believe they're going to be in positions to make plays. And it just felt like last year, especially on defense, they just believed no matter how hard they played, at some point there was going to be a there was going to be a bust in, in coverage or in tackling, and and they were you know going to lose the game. And, and man, that's that's a tough thing to overcome when that seed is planted you know, in, in the back of your brain in a game that this played this fast and this violently. Matt, you know, sometimes, and, and we've noticed it over the last several years, the schedule can actually play a little bit more havoc with a team than, than maybe you'd like it to because you just get a bad draw. Now, this year, you guys draw the NFC East, which has not been a great division over the last few years. How do you feel the Chargers look at their schedule right now, the way it, it falls, at least during the preseason? We all know things will change during the season, but but do they think that the schedule makers gave them a 
decent run here? Well, you know, I, I, I'll just give you my opinion, Paul, because they'll tell you they love the way it looks, right? You know, but I mean, they, they're going to start against one of the nastiest fronts in the league, if not the nastiest, right, in Washington. Yeah. Uh, and you got a brand new offensive line, and you know how important that is the old five fingers on a glove. They got to get comfortable with one another, develop that chemistry, and, and man, that is tough when you got that coming at you. Um, so that's a tough start to me, especially because it's going to be, you know, a trip to the East Coast, the old 10 a.m. Pacific time start. Um, and then you follow it up with arguably, you know, the most explosive offense in the league in the Dallas Cowboys. So even though the NFC East was, you know, down last year, you're still talking about really darn good units that individually can impact the game. Um, the one thing I'll say about the Chargers last year, Lance, and kind of, you know, crunching the numbers and, and getting a look at it is, the quality of competition never phased them. You know, they should have won that game against the Saints on Monday night. I mean, it's a Mike Badgley kick. Justin Herbert yeah. makes the throw, and all you got to do is make a field goal, and that game is over. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not playing the what-if game. I'm just saying, hey, a kicker in the NFL and a 49-yard field goal, you got to make that. You win the game. Um, you know, Justin Herbert traded punches with Tom Brady that whole game. He took a lead. You know, they, they were up by three touchdowns. Then the defense, you know, blew a couple to start the second half. He falls behind, and what does he do? He drives the team right down the field and gives them a lead in the fourth quarter. So, this team was able to play really well. I mean, heck, look at his first start against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, right? The guy ends up rushing for a touchdown. They go to overtime, and they lose on, what, two 63-yard field goals um, from, you know, from Butker. So they were good against good competition. Um, and I think that's maybe something, you know, they, they always say nothing carries over from the prior year, right? But I got to believe that's something that's going to carry over, that, hey, man, we – we trade punches with the best, and we're able to win any of these games as long as we just execute a little bit better. Well, I can tell you, Matt, Giants fans can relate to the heartbreak of losing games on lengthy kicks because they've had their fair share of issues in that department, too. Yes, so there's multiple franchises that certainly can relate to what the Chargers have gone through. Matt, before we let you go, another big-picture question, because obviously you've covered the league very closely over your years in NFL broadcasting. The Giants are playing the AFC West, and I think over the last few years, a lot of people point to it's the Chiefs' division, Kansas City's the standard, they're going to run away with things. I would personally make an argument, as you pointed out in this conversation, the Chargers are on the rise. Denver's got a really good defense. They're returning a lot of players due to injury. And the Raiders will see what becomes of their defense, as that unit obviously struggled immensely. What do you make of the overall AFC West, and how much better do you think the division is overall? It's a really tough division. Uh, We know the Chiefs might be top to bottom, you know, the best team or the second best team behind the Buccaneers in the league. And when you have Patrick Holmes, that just, you know, compounds your issues that you have trying to beat them. Um, Starts there. uh, I think they're going to be a tough tough team to topple um now you mentioned the broncos it's it's been interesting you know they've also have been the injury team right yeah and you look at them on paper and they look great and then von miller goes down and portland sutton goes that just seems like every year they lose guys and that's an issue the one thing about the, the broncos that that i don't buy into that everybody seemed to celebrate was just how much better this offensive line got um in the two games that the chargers played them I didn't see that. You know, I did not feel that. It felt like Bosa was wrecking Garrett Bowles the entire game. And that offensive line was not holding up uh, against the Chargers. So, you know, with with Teddy Bridgewater there, maybe the ball gets out a little bit quicker as opposed to Drew Locke. Um, And and maybe that was a a bit of an issue against the the Chargers that Bosa's just so good. you got to speed your clock up a little bit. Um, And then for the Raiders, I'm just... You know, I, I don't get what they did. I just don't quite understand. The one thing they were able to do is they were 
they were the bully in the league, you know, with that offensive line when it came to offense. Man, that thing was nasty. It was big. It was strong. It was experienced. Uh, the defensive line would always talk about, you know, just the fight they were in. And Derek Carr never held the ball long. It was always out. Um, and he had enough protection for that. And that offense was tough to deal with. So I'm, I don't know what that's going to look like now. You know, Derek Carr, you light him up a little bit, and, and that game changes in a hurry. And, and I'm anxious to see if, if, you know, trying to save some money on the O-line so they could go out and spend it on defense, if that ends up coming back to, to negate a strength, in, in, you know, in order to try to make a defense at least just average that, that's been so bad as of late. I mean, if I were just kind of ranking it, I, I think they hit it, Lance. I think you're talking Chiefs are the, the gold standard. And, and I think right behind them, if they can stay healthy, is the Chargers. Um, and, and then, you know, the Broncos will be health-dependent. I, I just I, I feel like the Raiders are the fourth-best team in this division. No, I think that's an accurate assessment as the Giants will be trying to solve the AFC West riddle this season, including an up-and-coming Chargers team led by Justin Herbert. He is the Chargers radio play-by-play announcer, Matt Money-Smith. Matt, can't thank you enough. Greatly appreciate the time and the insight. Look forward to following the Chargers this season and also look forward to talking down the road. Thanks again. Stay well, Matt. Absolutely, Paul. Thank you, Lance. Take care. You as well. Thanks again to Matt Money-Smith, Chargers radio play-by-play announcer, for weighing in on what to expect from L.A. this season. We will give you our take on the Chargers in a second, but first... Let's get some reminders out of the way. Limited Giant season tickets are on sale now for the 2021 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seats starting at just $100. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. Also, don't miss out on your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giants games and world-class concerts in 2021 as a Giants suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available, or you can place a deposit for individual games. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com suites for more information. A reminder, we can't take your phone calls. All of our shows are pre-recorded. So a little bit later on, we will answer some of your submitted questions. We appreciate everybody sending them in through the Giants.com mailbag, as well as using hashtag GiantsChat on Twitter. But before we get to that, as we normally do after each and one of these opponent preview interviews, we like to give you our take on that team. And the Chargers are a very intriguing team to me, Paul. And I understand there's a giant show and Giants fans are only concerned about their own team and they want to be excited. And that's perfectly fine. But well, they've got to beat the Chargers. Correct. Right? Well so. said. No disagreement there. But there was a question that was posed. I don't know if it was one of our features that we've done on Giants.com. Maybe it was a conversation that we all had where you look through the schedule and you wonder, what's the team that could be the pleasant surprise of who the Giants are facing? Meaning a team that you don't sense there's a lot of hype, but you could see them having a really good productive year. My response to all of those related questions, Paul, is always turning back to the Chargers. I just, I really like what they did this offseason where they had the philosophy of, we think we found our franchise quarterback in Justin Herbert. Now we're going to do everything feasible to make sure that we surround him with talent to allow him to build off of what he did as a rookie. And I think Matt Money Smith summed it up beautifully. And I want to throw out a number to you, Paul. Justin Herbert led the NFL with 1,113 passing yards and nine touchdowns when under pressure in 2020. You tell me a kid in his rookie year can do that and lead the NFL, and now you give him a much more polished offensive line? Okay, nobody's saying that he's going to go from 31 touchdowns to 45. Let's not be ridiculous, but I love the environment around this quarterback. 
Well, and he did it without a workhorse running back yeah. because Eckler only played 10 games. So imagine if Eckler is able to stay healthy and show everybody that he is the threat that the Chargers believe him to be. All of a sudden, holy smokes, now Herbert's got himself a running back threat in addition to what he can do with his arm and his head. Look, I don't think anybody in their right mind is going to think that Herbert is going to have a slump. I mean, this kid, the arrow is pointing up. He's just a terrific player coming out of school. I know they said that he was better as a junior, and in the senior year he kind of took a step back. I never bought that. This kid was going to be a blue chipper from the very, very get-go, and he is proving everybody right. He is one of those few guys who, in all honesty, did not have to sit a year or so and soak things in before he was thrown into the lineup. There are very few of those guys, in my opinion. They're outliers sure. who are able to do it right from the get-go. Most guys can't. Herbert could. And he's only going to continue to get better. And, and again, if Eckler does what, what Matt, Matt said he's going to do, you're right. The Chargers are going to be a much better team, and I don't think they'll have, well, they'll have some difficulty because of the division, but I do think they'll be over 500. Well, I would expect it to definitely be over 500. I actually would be really surprised if this team doesn't finish with an above 500 record. And granted, all you have to do is be 9-8 and eight with 17 games, but right. I'm expecting them to be in that territory. If they're lower than that, I think that would be quite the disappointment considering what they're working with. And that's also under the assumption, of course, that the defense stays healthy. And we'll get to the defense in a second. I want to piggyback off of the last point you brought up about how timing really played a role in what Herbert was able to showcase. Because when you think about it, you mentioned he didn't have to sit and watch, which most young guys tend to do. Well, can you imagine, Paul, what happens if Tyrod Taylor doesn't have that horrendous issue where, unfortunately, his lung was punctured, right? And that's what ultimately opened the door for Justin Herbert. And Herbert said, you're putting me on the field? Tyrod, I'm sorry, but I'm not letting you take back the job because he didn't give the Chargers coaching staff a reason. But what happens if that doesn't happen to Tyrod Taylor? I have a feeling Anthony Lynn, remember, Lynn and Tyrod go back to their Buffalo days together. And you know familiarity is an important component in NFL circles. Who's to say that Herbert plays as many games? Maybe they don't bring him in until the second half of the season when the Chargers mathematically are no longer in it. So I think that was unbelievable that not only did you get him experience, but you essentially gave him an entire season to work with last year. Are you suggesting this is another Drew Bledsoe-Tom Brady deal? <laughs> to maybe a certain degree. The dynamics are a little bit different, but there's another example where Brady did go into that season saying, oh my God, I hope Drew gets hurt. It happened, and he took advantage. Well, you know, the bottom line with Herbert is he played in a pro-style system. He certainly had all the physical tools, and with what they were able to teach him in college, with all the different checks and all the different reads and, and all of the different things that they employed offensively, he was going to be ahead of the curve. Now, this much ahead? I don't think any of us knew exactly, like, just add water and he's going to be, you know, a superstar. Yeah. But, but at the same time, he certainly did have a lot of preparations going for him coming out of college. Now, I will say this, though, okay? Brian Balaga, the longtime Packer, is their starting right tackle. And, you know, we talked about injuries earlier uh, with Matt. And, uh, I mean, uh, look, Slater, Slater, I get it. Coming out, 
a lot of people figured middle of the first round. So he's going to be penciled in as the left tackle. But Balaga's got a lot of wear on his tires. What if he can't hold up? All of a sudden now, Herbert's going to have himself a little bit of a problem on that side because, what, you're looking at Trey Pipkins, you know, to be the, the swing tackle on that team? That's a problem. Yeah. Uh, what, what happens if they don't get their special team squared away? And Matt seemed very sketchy on how that whole special teams scenario was going to play out. Well, you and I both know, Lance, special teams could cost you, what, three, four games a season? Easy. 100%. And that's the difference between making and missing the playoffs in certain circumstances, especially if you're in the mix, if you're the Chargers, and you're in the wild card conversation, and you need to win a game or two down the stretch, and you look back at the fact that you lost two games earlier in the season by a game-winning field goal at the buzzer or something like that, or you had a missed field goal where you had a chance to win, yeah, you're going to be thinking about that the entire offseason. And that's been the Chargers storyline the last few years. Well, exactly, and that's why I bring that up because I I agree with the optimism. I I like the team as it stands right now with their 22 starters, but I think it's fragile optimism. And look, I think the Giants are in the same boat. Yeah. They've got fragile optimism, too, because if one or two of the wrong things go awry, all of a sudden, the house starts to crumble. It's just like when we were having a conversation about the Giants entering last season. Now, granted, we knew that there were question marks on the defensive side of the ball. You had a new staff. But if you were to tell us that Saquon Barkley is going to go down in week two of the NFL season— Don't you think, Paul, we're having a very different conversation in terms of how we're looking at that Giants offense? Nobody has a crystal ball. So if you were to tell me to bring this back to the Chargers, and also I should mention Sterling Shepard getting hurt early in the season too. If you tell me Derwin James is going to play 16 games, yeah, I got a lot more confidence, right, in terms of how that Chargers defense is going to operate. If you tell me there's going to be another one of those years where Joey Bosa gets into double-digit games so he can get 14 and a half sacks. You're damn right. I'm going to feel a lot better about the Chargers. So I think when we have these conversations, I'm always operating under this is the ideal outcome, assuming guys stay healthy. Because I never go into a season saying, oh, I hope this guy misses five games. No, nobody no, ever I, operates. You're right to do it that way, Lance, except this is a team that has been so bad. Well, that's why they're the exception to the rule. No doubt <laughs> about it. Yeah, You have to consider it in, in the conversation. And, and I think that, you know, it's fair to do that with one player and say, okay, in Saquon Barkley's case, and I've said this on the show before, I truly believe if Saquon Barkley does not get hurt, you can tack on a minimum of two wins to the Giants' season last year. Probably more like three. And, and you know, they're a playoff team. But as you have said many times before, you know, there are many teams that can talk about a key injury that would have been a difference maker by the end of the season. So I'm not saying the Giants are the only ones you could say that about, but there's no question in my mind that Barkley was worth at least a couple of wins. I think that's a reasonable takeaway. 
the one thing I'm thinking about based on what you're saying in terms of that fragile optimism, which I think is a very interesting phrase. I may even adopt that if you're willing to have me pay you royalties in return for that. I well, may have to well, adopt that. You, you, you refuse to take the uh, quicksand of mediocrity. Well, because I'm not like necessarily that. buying or in agreement okay. with that. I think that's too okay. harsh on the competitive balance, but, but, but I'll but give I you this one. I will allow this one. Yes. I will allow this one if you want it. Okay. I'm a little bit more open-minded, and I think our thinking is on the same line, so that's why yes. I'm encouraging perhaps the usage of the line but the reason I bring that up in all seriousness is because you talked about hey the Chargers could look one way in week two or three but interestingly the Giants are playing the Chargers in week 14 okay and who knows what teams look like I always say that in week 14 so the bottom line is it's going to be interesting Paul what shape the Chargers are in by the time the Giants mm-hmm. face them? Because if we were having this conversation, if the Giants and Chargers met, as Matt was talking about in our conversation, the last time they met at MetLife Stadium, it was a week five matchup. Both teams were winless. It was a huge game. Now this is the complete opposite end of the spectrum. Now you're going to see this team much later on in the season. So you could say on one side, okay, Justin Herbert's going to have a lot more games under his belt. He's going to have a lot more comfort, right, with Joe Lombardi's offensive scheme. The defense is going to get a feel for Brandon Staley. The opposite side, I would argue, who's going to be on the field at that time? Is Derwin James going to be there? Are these guys on offense? Austin Eckler, Keenan Allen's been banged up in his career. So that's a bit of a wild card here for this team. Big picture, Lance. How do both of these young teams, and let's not kid ourselves, the Giants are a young team. The Chargers are a young team. There's a realistic chance that both of these clubs could be very much in the thick of their division races with about a month left in the season when they play each other. You may be talking about a very pivotal game for both clubs as they try to make a push. Absolutely. That's week 14, and then you're going to hit the stretch run. You're going to have the final four games right after that, and in all likelihood, you're going to be playing division rivals in those final four games because I'm looking at the Chargers schedule. Well, who do they have? They got the Chiefs. Then they play Houston, followed by Denver and Las Vegas. So they're playing three of their division rivals in the final four games, meaning the Giants game is sort of the tone setter for your home stretch. So, yeah, extremely important from that standpoint. And we know, obviously, the Giants are going to be tested within their division down the stretch of the season, too. One other thing I wanted to get to before we move on to the mailbag questions about the Chargers, because I think this is another part of the storyline for this team. We talked with Matt about Brandon Staley, who did a heck of a job with that Rams defense last season. Mm -hmm. The number one defense, the number one secondary, they were so good because they had playmakers across the board. And remember, keep in mind, not to get off topic, people forget, Sean McVay decided to part ways with Wade Phillips, which, Paul, on the surface, you could argue that was a bit of a risky move considering the track record Wade Phillips has as defensive coordinator. And he said, you know what, right? I need a fresh start. You bring in new blood. Brandon Staley, okay, he worked under Vic Fangio with respect to the Bears and the Broncos. And he came in and he didn't rock the boat too much. He pressed the right buttons. They were very successful. But whenever a defensive coordinator not only makes the transition to head coach, but also is now operating with new personnel, the one question that I always raise is, does he have the personnel to do the things that he showcased in his previous stop. So he had a really good secondary, and oh, by the way, he had a guy by the name of Aaron Donald, which doesn't (laughs) grow on trees. So let me throw this out, and I think this is interesting to examine. With the Chargers personnel, and the health is going to obviously be an X factor, does Staley have the pieces 
that he can truly turn a group around that has struggled in recent years and get them, maybe not necessarily the conversation of the number one overall defense, but back to respectability based on what he ran with the Rams? Well, we all know it starts with Bosa, right? 100%. Okay, so so let's just begin there. They need to get 16 games out of him. That's that that's number one before we go anywhere else. And then 1A has got to be Derwin James. Now, once you put those two guys on the table and say they're going to give him healthy seasons, well, then why can't he have a successful defense? Because we know he can scheme it up. And we know that they certainly have a lot of youth there who's willing to learn and probably will be very energized by listening to a new voice and a guy who comes in, by the way, with a proven track record so you know he will command respect from the moment that he walks into the room. And by the way, you know, I, I don't want to make a big deal out of this, but we saw what a pro Kyler Fackrell was with the Giants last year. Yeah. Now, the production may not have been spectacular, but he was a pro's pro, and, and they signed him. So, so, you know, this will be a guy who is going to lend some real professionalism and, and really make sure that guys are in the right places and know their playbooks. So, yeah, I, I think there's some potential there. I think they, they, they could be optimistic. I'm completely with you. I actually, I look at Kyler Fackrell as taking on the role of Morgan Fox in the Rams defense, sort of an underrated pass rusher who doesn't get a lot of notoriety, but makes the most of his snaps. Would not be surprised if he assumes that role within the Chargers defense. Remember, they also have Linville Joseph up front. Giants fans are familiar with him, still playing at a high level. Now with the Chargers after he was with the Vikings. And here's another thing. We were having this conversation, if you remember, Paul, when we were previewing the Rams, Brandon Stanley played a big role in helping Leonard Floyd turn things around. And granted, he was with him in Chicago, but remember, he wasn't the defensive coordinator who was Mm -hmm. with the Bears. So if I'm the Chargers and I'm a guy that, you know, maybe everything hasn't registered, hasn't clicked, I'm looking at what he did with Leonard Floyd and saying, hey, maybe Stanley could do that for me. The other thing that's important to note, I know we placed a lot of emphasis on Derwin James, and rightfully so. Great pick. In 2018, in the first round, the fact that he fell to them was a huge home run. But there's a lot more, okay, let's be fair to this Chargers secondary than Derwin James. They have Chris Harris Jr., who is a proven veteran. They just drafted Asante Samuel Jr., who is a nice pick in the second round. And Michael Davis is a name to look out for. This is their third corner but probably may even emerge to be their true second corner this season. He's a versatile guy that can play multiple positions, and I have a feeling Brandon Staley is going to tap into that, and that's a name that you're probably going to be hearing a lot about. That would not surprise me at all. And when you mentioned Samuel just a moment ago, I was thinking back to when we were previewing the draft, and I don't think that I talked to anybody who doubted Samuel's skills. We know about his pedigree because his dad obviously played in the league for a long time with the Patriots. But his skill set, the reality is the guy is a football player. He's tough. He's rugged. He will play the run in the pass. He has a tremendous attitude and an energy and a work ethic about him. The only negative on him when you talk to people and you, and you said, hey, okay, why won't he be maybe a first-round pick? Why is he going to be maybe a late first-rounder if he squeezes in or more likely going to be a second-rounder? And they would simply come back to his stature. And that's the only thing that they could knock him on because he's got the package. And so would it be surprising if he plays bigger than his size because he's got all the intangibles 
and winds up making his mark on that Chargers defense this year? No, the answer is that would not surprise me. So the Chargers are a very intriguing team, as we just outlined, in terms of their offense as well as their defense. A new head coach, new schemes across the board, and the Giants will meet them in Week 14 in L.A. Now it's time to address some of your mailbag questions. And once again, we are unable to take your phone calls. All our shows are pre-recorded this week. You can continue to submit them into Giants.com, the mailbag, as well as hashtag Giants chat. Okay, so this first question today comes from Phil in Virginia. Why didn't the Giants sign free agent Morgan Moses, who would have anchored the right tackle position? And with the Steelers signing free agent Trey Turner, was the Giants' last chance to get a good offensive lineman? Are they hoping that someone good might be cut from another team? Well, there are a lot of of different sprockets to this answer, if you will. Obviously, number one is the Giants really believe in the growth and development and the maturity of the guys that they have in-house. And as Dave Gettleman has said, they've got to play. Because if they don't play, they won't get better. So you, you kind of have to live with the growing pains that they had last year and believe that they will greatly reduce their number of mistakes this season. The other part to this answer is obviously they also would have to have a nice piece of capital to bring in a veteran of that experience, uh, of, of that resume. And the Giants are not a, a team right now after, they, what, what they bring in, 12 free agents, Lance? A high volume, yeah. <laughs> you know, they brought in a lot of new faces. Uh, they don't necessarily have the money now to go and make a move of that nature, especially if they think they're going to be contenders. They're going to need to do whatever finagling has to be done to scrape up some nickels and dimes if somebody gets hurt because they're going to be a team that's going to say, we're in the hunt, and if somebody gets injured, they're going to try to get somebody else competitive at the position so that they cannot lose a step and stay in the race. Now, that's different when you're a team that doesn't think they're going to be in the playoff hunt because then you say, okay, whatever. You know, we'll, we'll just wind up picking up a body and taking a flyer on somebody. No, when you think you have a chance to be a playoff team, you have to make sure that whatever spare change you have or can collect It's going to be used for a significant injury reserve guy who you may just have to wind up bringing in. So so that's part of it. And I think the other part of it, too, is maybe their valuation of these guys at this stage of their careers isn't as high as the fans. Maybe they just don't believe that right now those guys have enough left and that they are significantly better than the potential of the guys you have in your own room. Yeah, I think those are both excellent points. I would emphasize the first of the two that you mentioned. I think you have to look at the Giants' philosophy right now as opposed to what other teams are doing. Just because one team goes the route of trying to track down a pro bowler who was let go, such as Trey Turner, doesn't mean that that's the same game plan or philosophy of the Giants. And I think the Giants internally said to themselves, we've invested in the offensive line in the draft over the last year. And now we have to get these guys on the field and see what they could do. If we bring in a veteran like Morgan Moses and Trey Turner, what we're going to do is we're going to pay them money on a one-year deal, and we're not just going to have them sit on the bench. The urgency will be to get them on the field. And I guarantee you, Paul, those two guys that the questioner labeled and mentioned, 
they did not want to go to a team that was going to bring them in as a swing guy or a backup. They wanted to go to a team where they're going to come in and they know there's a very good chance they're going to start. The Jets, they needed a right tackle. Morgan Moses is going to be their guy. The Steelers, David DeCastro winds up contemplating retirement Mm -hmm. and they let him go this late into the offseason. Well, David DeCastro is a proven pro bowler. Trey Turner's out there. You don't feel good about who you have behind him. You didn't necessarily draft a guy high because the Steelers haven't had the luxury since they've been pretty much a playoff contender every year. Yeah, you're going to go that route because you've got a veteran quarterback. And once again, the expectations where you are as a team is much different than where the Giants are. Here's another thing. They've got Nate Solder returning. So the Giants may say to themselves, Paul, we have an established veteran who, if things don't go right with the young guys, will insert Nate Solder. We already have him on the books. We reworked his contract. He opted out. Why should we now pay another veteran to do something that we think Solder could come in and do? Well, it goes back to the age-old question, and this this goes into the uh, draft every year as well. People will say, well, why didn't they take this guy? Well, because every general manager and head coach asks himself this question. Is the guy that we can obtain significantly better than the guy we already have? Is there a concrete upgrade? And if you can't be sure that there is a significant upgrade, in most cases, you'll stay with the guy you got. Absolutely. Because then that would be just bringing in a player for the sake of bringing in a player for the court of public opinion, meaning somebody that has some name and notoriety. And let me make this very clear. I am very high on Morgan Moses. This is a guy, Paul, he has never missed a game since his second year in the NFL. He's been a staple of that Washington offensive line. That is a great ad, in my opinion, for the Jets. But once again, Morgan Moses is a right tackle. Okay, so let's apply him to the Giants situation. You have Nate Solder, as I mentioned, a veteran who you already have under contract. So you got to think of the financials from that standpoint. You also have Matt Paird, who you drafted high in last year's draft. It makes a lot more sense to finally get Paird out there if the door is opened because Cam Fleming is no longer on the roster, who was the main starter last year, and see what Matt Paird could do. If you bring in Morgan Moses then Morgan is going to come in and he's going to say, guys, I didn't come here so that I can mentor the young guys. I came in here to start. So that means Matt Parrott is no longer in the equation of the starting offensive line. So now you go another year unless Moses gets hurt. Do you know what the hell you have in Matt Parrott? He played 15% of the snaps, Paul. You've got to get that number up to get an idea of what you see in Mm -hmm. Matt Parrott. Then with Trey Turner... Okay, they lost Kevin Zeitler. I get that. So you could argue there may be a need for a veteran guard, but they have Will Hernandez, they have Shane Lemieux, and they also already signed Zach Fulton and Jonathan Harrison, who is a backup center as well. So the point is you've already invested capital in veterans on short-term deals, and you have guys that you want to see whether or not they pan out who you gave contracts to through the draft. It just, once again, the more and more you break down the dynamics of the Giants situation, it's understandable that they're saying, guys, we want to see what we have internal before once again going externally. Yeah, I, I, we, we can't say it enough of times. That's certainly the philosophy of Dave Gettleman at this point in time with this team. And Joe Judge is certainly on board with that too because remember, he's all about teaching and developing that's that's the Joe Judge philosophy, the Joe Judge mentality. And so this line is going to have to get it done. It's on them. Let's not kid ourselves. It's on them. The onus is on this group. 
There is no doubt about it. Now it's time for these guys to step up and make the most of their reps. If I'm Shane Lemieux, if I'm Andrew Thomas, if I'm Matt Paird, I'm excited. Okay, the door is wide open, Paul, for all three of those guys to win and claim starting jobs this year. Not many guys that get drafted in the fifth round could say year two that they could be walking in to a starting job to begin the year. I get it. Andrew Thomas was a high first round pick. Okay, so nobody's putting him in the same category, but paired who was much higher than Shane Lemieux. But those two guys to say year two, I have already an opportunity to start. Not many guys could say that that's floated in front of them. Just go back to one of Tom Coughlin's favorite words, opportunity. There is no better term when it comes to football. Nobody in front of you, you now got to go out and prove that the coaching staff should keep you in that position. All right, let's go to our second mailbag question. It comes from Peter in California. This takes us to the defensive side of the ball. Who is the X factor on defense? He writes, my own pick is Ellerson Smith. He needs to put on a few pounds of muscle and be moved to defensive end with his linebacker speed and quickness. He'd be quite a load coming off the edge in passing situations. You know, Lance, I think the other day we may have had a conversation similar to We did. This. And, you know, I'm a big Odenabo fan. I, I just think that, that he showed me some things with the Vikings. And, there, you know, he dealt with the COVID issues, okay, at some point last year. He also dealt with some position switches where they were using them in different ways in their scheme because they were lacking certain things and they had to kind of put a square peg into a circular hole. And Odenabo suffered as a player because of it. I think, I think that the Giants' optimism with him is much warranted. I, I see some skills there. I love his attitude. We've had an opportunity to uh, to listen to him talk uh, during the off season. He's a guy who seems very, very much determined with a chip on his shoulder to prove to everybody that you know he's not a guy who belongs in the journeyman pile. That this is a guy who really can be an important part of a winning defense. I I got a good feeling about Odenabo. Well, you know, I've been on the record. I look at Odenabo as a sleeper, underrated type of addition to this team. So I'm on board with you there. We don't necessarily have to rehash our conversation on Ellerson Smith. In case you did miss that, you could go back to Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Paul and I actually had a very detailed conversation about him versus Aziz Ojolari. I will say this. I think expectations for Ellerson Smith... I think some people need to take a step back because I've got nothing against him. I would not entertain, Paul, the idea of him being an X factor until I know how many snaps this guy is going to get in his first year in the NFL. Well, and where is he going to play, Lance? Yeah. Is he going to be a stand-up edge guy or are they going to say, hey, we kind of like your frame and a few more extra pounds is going to make you a down guy? (laughs) Look, I've I've made it clear. I'd like to see him down, personally. I'd like to see him down, coming off the edge as a down lineman. That would be my preference, but it remains to be seen. There are some people who have talked about him as a JPP type, who, as you now know with the Buccaneers, plays a lot of stand-up, more so than he did with the Giants. You'll also remember, many years ago, another guy people compare Smith to is Jason Taylor. Now, Jason Taylor. Miami Dolphins. Yeah, and and Washington also true. Yeah, and, later and, in his career, and, and and Taylor had his hand in the dirt. So, you know, you, you 
you can you can have various opinions on this. The Giants will have to finally figure out a way as he develops into a pro player how he's going to be best utilized. But but I don't I just I just think that this is a redshirt year for him. That and, and I'm okay with that. Well, keep in mind also, remember, he didn't play football last year, too. And that wasn't to blame him for it. It was just the dynamics of COVID. But you are asking somebody to make the transition to the NFL and hasn't been in game situations for quite some time. So those are factors that we can't dismiss. I will leave it at this, though. If you were to ask me who the X factor on defense is, I would also entertain Lorenzo Carter. Okay? Let's not forget about him, Paul. This is a player. though, because an X factor, doesn't that guy have to be little talked about? And See, I don't look at X Factor that way. About him a lot. Yeah, no, and once again, you bring up an interesting point. It really, I guess, it's in the eye of the beholder. How do you define X Factor? See, X Factor to me is it's not necessarily a guy that's not talked about. To me, it's somebody that is so crucial to either side of the ball that when he performs, you could give the team maybe a few extra wins. He doesn't live up to expectations. That's going to come back to bite you. That's my definition of an X Factor. Hmm. That's how I view it. So that's why, under that umbrella, I think Lorenzo Carter is a perfect fit for that label. Well, I think if we go with your label, you could probably pick five or six. Oh, absolutely. Well, I I mean, you could do it even under your definition, too. It doesn't have to be my label. I suppose you could. I suppose you could. But but I think the the guy lurking in the shadows who doesn't necessarily have the spotlight— tends to be a smaller group of guys or a smaller choice of players as opposed to the way you look at it. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm believing you. I'm not doing that. But but I am saying I, I think it does lend itself to a wider variety of selections. Well, I will leave it at this also. I think for anybody, when you send in questions when you're saying underrated sleeper X Factor, I think it's important just to add a new layer to the dialogue that we have on this show because we find these questions interesting. Correct. Provide context and tell us your interpretation (laughs) in all seriousness of what an X Factor is because the way Paul and I view X Factor is probably very different than it is through your lens or underrated or sleeper. So I would say try to tack on this is what I would define an X Factor because maybe they're looking at Ellerson Smith also very differently than I and you are. So therefore, or, you know, that changes the whole context. But the reason why, just to sum up why Lorenzo Carter is an X-Factor to me is he showed some nice progress, unfortunately, before he tore his Achilles last season. And if you could get him out there for a full season, he's capable of being the perfect complement to Leonard Williams. So if he plays at a fully healthy level this season, he gives you a number of sacks and pressures at quarterback hits. You know, that to me takes the pass rushing unit to a whole other level. That's why I view Lorenzo as an X-Factor. You do realize that neither one of us know what we're talking about because the Giants have two true X-Factors, Xavier McKinney and O'Shane Zimenez. Well, if you take the literal (laughs) definition, yes, of the term. I'm surprised you didn't lead off with that, Paul. We need a drum set behind you on that line, yes. All right, there you go. (laughs) Yes, we have multiple X-Men already on this roster. All right, well, that is going to wrap up things for us here on Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Thanks again for all of you who have submitted those mailbag questions. A reminder, it is part of the Giants Podcast Network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. So starting on Monday, we will return to live programming, which means that we will be back up and running at noon Eastern. We'll carry on our opponent preview series. We still have a number of teams to look ahead to, and we'll also have an opportunity to take your phone calls. Paul, enjoyed the conversation as always. I'll speak to you next week. Enjoy the weekend. Absolutely. For Paul Dettino, I'm Lance Meadow. Stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest. Enjoy the rest of your Friday. 
Friday. Have a good weekend. We will speak to you next week. Have a good one. Everyone gets their cravings while watching the games, and no one wants to be the one to miss the big play. Well, now Grubhub's got you covered. From the extras to the essentials, Grubhub now delivers all your go-to convenience items all day long. Whether it's that late-night snack craving or you forgot to get the paper towels from the grocery store, enjoy convenience delivered right to your door, just in the nick of time, and you'll never have to leave the house. Order your convenience items through the Grubhub app or online today. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.